Garden Success is brought to you in part by the Arbor Gate, featuring unusual plants, artisan-created decorative pieces, and a constantly changing array of items that bring beauty, comfort, and even flavor to the home and garden. Arbor Gate, 15635 FM 2920, Tomball, Texas, 281-351-8851 or arborgate.com. Garden Success is also brought to you by the Farm Patch, 3519 South College Avenue in Bryan, 979-822-7209. Welcome to Garden Success with Skip Richter the show designed to help you have a bountiful garden and a beautiful landscape. Call in now with your lawn and garden questions at 979-845-5689 or email your questions to gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And now, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist, Skip Richter. Hello and welcome to Garden Success. Boy, is this ever a good day to be inside listening to the radio, right? We can do our best gardening from the armchair sometime. I always say my best gardens occur in my mind prior to planting season because we always dream big when we're a, gar- as a gardener. We're going to have the best tomato crop we ever had. We're going to have the most beautiful flowers. We're going to add that gazebo or arbor. Or, oh, my gosh, we have all kinds of great plans when it comes to gardening. Right now, you're probably wishing you asked for a greenhouse for Christmas so you could be out enjoying that, right? Well, uh, we'd love to have you call today. This uh, show is best when it's not a monologue, but when you guys are calling in with your questions, uh, maybe you just want to brag on uh, the tomato you grew last year or the ones, the new varieties you're excited about putting out this year. Anything you want to call about, uh, give us a call at 979-845-5689, or if you'd like to email, perhaps attach a photo of something you want identified or uh, diagnosed, for example. You can email us at gardensuccess at tamu.edu. Gardensuccess at tamu.edu. Well, let's start off just by dealing with the elephant in the room, and that is the cold weather. Looking at the forecast and what it seems like it's going to do, we're going to have one good hard freeze coming up here, especially tonight uh, and tomorrow night as well. The cold is going to be significant enough to take out some of those things that normally would be marginally hardy. Uh, It's always hard to predict plants. You know, we have certain plants that uh, we consider to be perennials here, but we recognize the fact that on any given year, they might not be a perennial. And uh, I've got some Cecilpinia, um, uh, the uh, red bird of paradise, also called Pride of Barbados, uh, in my yard. And those things, they they freeze to the ground in the winter. And then if it's really bad, they may not come back. And if it's not too bad, they will. If you mulch them, they will. Even with the cold we're having, mulching them helps. Now, I know you don't want to go out there right now and be mulching in the sleet and drizzly rain. Uh, but uh, if you have one, you want to give it a little extra measure of protection. You could go out, throw a mound of compost over it or even a big pile of leaves. Uh, if you've cut it back to the ground, you can just throw a bag of leaves on top of it. Just something to to kind of protect the crown or the base of that plant and just ensure that it comes back. It may, it may make it 
without you doing that. But, you know, gardening and life science is not a black and white thing. And I was talking to somebody the other day, and we were talking about plants and cold hardiness and things. And we were just talking about how, you know, you a given plant, let's say a satsuma orange, that's one of our hardiest citrus that we can grow here that's worth growing here. Uh, in other words, it's worth eating. Uh, satsumas, if they're a mature plant, let's say it's reached at least three or four years, it's established, maybe not mature, but established. Uh, those things can, if the weather is cool prior to the freeze, and they're not, you know, a week of 80 degrees prior to the freeze, uh, they're hardened off enough to where they can take it down to the mid to low 20s, somewhere down in there before real significant damage occurs. So uh, weather like we're about to have is right on the edge for a mature or, or an established satsuma. There's going to be some cold damage to it, but it'll probably survive, not be killed back to the ground like things were last year. But if we have warm weather leading up to that, or if that satsuma is a new plant, maybe you bought one in the fall and put it in the ground, uh, it is not well established, and the cold hardiness is not as significant as it would be. If it's on the north side of your house, the south side, if uh, there's some source of warmth, even the the uh, warmth that comes off of our homes can help a plant pushed right up against the side of the house, and I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But before I go on about that, let's go ahead and go to the phones. Again, the number, 845-5689, and talk to John. Hello, John. Good morning. Uh, I have a thing of seeds in there called Lincoln peas, P-E-A. And do you know what a Lincoln pea is? And what, what is it? I don't know if it, what kind of pea it is. Well, how does it grow? Lincoln peas. Well, there is a, I think it's a variety of uh, English pea called Lincoln. Uh, you know, the kind that we shell, we eat the round, plump seed pods in it, the English pea, not a snow pea, not a sugar snap pea. I believe there's a variety called Lincoln that is an English pea. That's the only Lincoln pea I know of. So I'm going to say, uh, what is like on Regis Philman's What's the Show? You Want to Be a Millionaire? Uh, final answer, uh, I think it's, <laughs> I think you've got an English pea <laughs> on your hand, John. <laughs> Does, is it vining or is it a bush or how's it grow? Like other peas, they're going to form a vine. Uh, they're pretty cold hardy. One, you know, once they get established, with most peas, when it when they bloom and when they have little pods, actually those are less cold hardy than the plant itself. So we try to plant them, you know, now or a little before now even, and bring them through. And then when they when they actually produce, it's in mild weather, not hot yet, but also not freezing, uh, and that's our best chance. I'm gonna, let me look up Lincoln and see if I can get a day to harvest, or did you see one on the packet? No, this is this came in one of those uh, survivor kits. Oh, okay, so okay. I, I don't, yeah. I don't really have much, all, that, all it does is say P. Lincoln. Okay, Lincoln, okay, well, let me see. Yeah, that's the only one I see is an English P. And it's an old variety. Oh gosh, introduced after World War II. That's interesting. I'm looking for the days to harvest. That's what. Oh, days to maturity, 62. Wow, that is a fast one. I'm surprised I'm not familiar with that one. We like our cool season peas. That would be sugar snap peas, snow peas, um, English peas. If we can get them to to uh, reach maturity or harvest in I mean, 65. 
maybe 70 days, that's wonderful. If it starts to get up around 78 days, that's when we run into the problems with either, if it's a fall plant, either the freeze hits too soon, or if it's a, a late winter plant, the hot weather hits too soon. So it sounds like you got a good one. I, I would be very interested in knowing how that does for you if you do end up planting it. Well, I, maybe for just for my own self-preservation, I think I'll wait until after a couple of days here and, yes. and then, then plant them in the, in the garden. Absolutely. Good idea. I've got a, a bunch of new, I built four new garden beds, and they are just bare dirt, and I've been staring at them for about a week and a half, and it's about to drive me crazy. Uh, but I saw this coming, and I thought, you know what? <laughs> I can wait another few days uh, before I go out and plant just to make sure I don't have little seedlings popping up when it's going to hit the low 20s. What are you, what are you going to plant uh, real quick? I mean, John, right John, I have a gardening problem. I, I like everything. Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to plant everything. Uh, still the cool season stuff, broccoli and, and kale and, you know, those kinds of things. Nothing long-term like cabbage or or Brussels sprouts, those just take a little too long uh, for this uh, point of planting. Um, and then I'm going to go ahead and I'm starting tomatoes and peppers, even though it's a little much later than I normally start them, but uh, it's still okay to start those. Uh, pretty soon I'll be starting the um, even things like cucumbers and squashes uh, once the weather you know, gives us a, a little bit of a signal that we may be done with the coldest of it. But, yeah, everything, lettuce, spinach, all kinds of stuff can go in now. I have some Brussels sprouts that are, oh, maybe three feet tall right now. Mm -hmm. And it, and they've got the little nubbins on all the joints. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm hoping they'll make it through this. I've got them covered, but I don't know if, you know, yeah. if, if it gets down in the teens, I don't know if that yeah, cover is going to do I don't it. think we'll make it that far based on the weather, but, uh, but we're reports. But I would like to hear from you how that does. Brussels sprouts are pretty cold hardy. And if you've got a cover over them, I think you're going to be fine with those things. So. Yeah, I've got I've got a, a double cover over them. I'm, I'm okay, that'll do it. Well, that's going to be so warm you could take your sleeping bag and sleep out there tonight. So. I, I don't think so. My okay. soil thermometer says it's it's right right at 50 degrees yesterday, <laughs> so I, I don't you know it's not real warm. All right. What, what on, on my my fig trees? I've got several fig trees that are oh, eight to ten feet tall and bigger diameter than mm -hmm. what can i do anything yeah you know i was just talking a minute ago about how it's hard to give a number of freeze hardiness on plants because of so many factors and figs if they're in a moderately um i don't want to say fast but if they're if they're kind of still growing a little bit as we go into fall their cold hardiness isn't as good as if we slow them down. I always tell people don't fertilize your figs after August because that just that just leads to a little more succulent vigor kind of stuff going on. Although the temper, you know, figs not going to grow with any kind of fertilizer when it's already cold. But my point is just that we we want them to to harden off pretty well. And I've got a fig that looks like it 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 shut down pretty good while ago, and I would expect it to be able to take. Um, down into the mid-20s okay, but we're getting a little cold. So what I'm going to do with mine, and uh, in fact, I've already, uh, it's the only plant still out there that I haven't, I haven't done my stuff to it, but I'm going to go ahead and mulch the base really well. Uh, compost is great. Uh, mulch is fine. Pile it up, and I'm going to also uh, put some bags of leaves around it 
and then just kind of basically make an igloo of leaves over that plant or in and around that plant. Uh, mine is still a small one. Uh, but anything that's just to protect the base. So if we do have severe cold kill, you still got a lot to re-sprout from the bottom. I've got LSU, Turkey, and the third one, too. Celeste. Celeste, yeah. All, of them, all three of them. And, and they're all bare, no leaves. That They lost their leaves some time ago. Mm-hmm. But on the end of each yeah. terminal of, of, the, of, yeah. the leaf, of the limbs, there's just a teeny bit of a green thing. Yeah, all of the ends. I don't. Know yeah, that, that's normal. Uh, you can't. It, that I have that on mine too. It, it just, just how they are. They that they stay a little succulent out there on the tip, but I think you'll be fine. Is your LSU a purple or a gold? Purple. Okay, well that's a good one. And um, no, they had a gold. Yeah, of course they do. They have to have a gold, right? Uh, if they have a purple, <laughs> but um, they're both fine. I, I kind of like the purple a little bit better. Uh, but they each, ha- like every variety, each has its attributes. And so, uh, but those are good. They're kind of, you know, when you look at the country wide, I mean, they're kind of from our part of the world over here. So uh, in terms of where they were developed and bred, of course, Celeste and Alma were developed at A&M. And so uh, those kind of figs we know are going to do well here because they were developed in this region. Well, you know, we had a really, really tough weather last year and the, they died back pretty much to the base and uh but this year they've just i mean like i say they're now eight feet tall so yeah they, they they grew quickly yes yes and you know i mean if you if you got the equipment and the time you could throw a tarp over the whole thing pin it down on all sides because we're still having some wind here and there that uh will blow it off but if you did that you'd save the whole the whole tree probably uh if there was any kind of a, a warmth underneath it you know warm soil or when I say warm soil, I mean, you know, 40 degree soil is warm compared to freezing, yeah. right? And so you're still going right. to get some heat coming up off of that. So. I don't own a tarp big enough for these. Okay. All right. <laughs> I think we'll just try to mulch and cover the base area and see if we can at least keep the roots alive. Yeah. Well, keep keep me posted because I'm always curious about this stuff. You know, the the more I the more I learn, the more I know how much I don't know. And... When it comes to plants, you know, I'll think, well, that such and such variety is going to be a little hardier for you than the other one. And someone will call in and say, no, I lost that one. The other one's fine. <laughs> you're right. Because plants can't read. If they could read the books, they would they would understand they're not that hardy, but they can't read. So. Okay. Well, thank you very much. All right, John. Thank you for the call. And enjoy those peas. And, and do let me know how they do if you, when you get them planted. Okay. They're, they're going in the garden in two, three days. All right. Sounds good. Take care. Our phone number, 845-5689, 845-5689, or by email at gardensuccess at tamu.edu, gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And I want to talk a little bit about some things going on uh, in the area uh, or that you can access from the area. Uh, one thing is the Home and Garden Show. The Home and Garden Show is coming up next weekend. That's February the 12th and 13th, Saturday and Sunday. And there'll be all kinds of things out there. Of course, the booths and things that you would expect from a Home Garden Show, uh, Home and Garden Expo. Um, 
But we're going to have a uh, Master Gardener booth out there where you can come by and pick up free information, uh, visit with a Master Gardener. There'll be something for kids to do as well. They can stop in. There'll be some little kids' activities so they can kind of take home something gardening-related uh, and, and learn a little about, about plants. Uh, our group that works with kids is, is wonderful, and they, they are going to be present at the Home and Garden Show. You want to go by and see them, stop by the booth. But also, there are going to be some talks, in fact, a number of talks, and I want to tell you about those. Uh, on Saturday, starting at 10 a.m., uh, there'll be a talk on creating your own butterfly garden. Molly Harris, one of our master gardeners, uh, is going to talk a little bit about our butterfly garden at the demonstration idea garden, D-I-G. That's what we call it, the dig. Good name for a garden, right? And she's going to talk about the specific plants that make a successful pollinator garden. She'll give you photos and and how to how to uh, uh, you know which ones are good to plant maybe some tips on growing them um, Molly is a not only a master gardener she's a master naturalist and her garden in a college station is certified by the National Wildlife Federation the Texas Department of Parks and Wildlife and the project Monarch Watch so Molly's been around butterflies a little bit and you can learn a lot from her on building your own butterfly garden maybe you don't want to create a garden just for butterflies but what about putting plants that are attractive to the adults and also don't forget the larva because uh, you want to have larval food sources out there too and there's some great plants for that 10 a.m. on Saturday. These are all free, by the way. Well, you, you know, it costs to get into the show, but the, the talks and everything is free. At 11 a.m., Mike Vadreen, another one of the Brazos County Master Gardeners, is going to talk about year-round vegetable gardening. Some of you have heard Mike before. He does an awesome job on vegetable gardening. Mike has one of the best vegetable gardens in the region, and uh, he knows a little bit about gardening with vegetables. And so if you want to get a really good, practical, hands-on uh, inspiring talk that'll make you want to run home and do it in your own yard. Well, Mike Vadreen's talk, year-round vegetable gardening, 11 a.m. Still on Saturday at 1 p.m., uh, Fred Rapsick is going to talk about raised bed gardening. And Fred's going to talk about why we do raised beds in the home garden and some of the methods and tips for building a good raised bed. We have more than one option. And Fred works out at the Demonstration Idea Garden, uh, where the old extension office used to be. Uh, and he will talk about raised bed gardening. Then at 2, uh, a program on holistic healing through horticulture. Uh, Katie Lowe is going to be visiting about the intersection of mental health and horticulture, discovering the many ways that time in the garden helps cultivate a healthy body and a and healthy mind. And I tell you, the research is... I make a stack a mile high of all the research papers that have been done over the past decade or more that uh, have pointed to all of the ways that engaging uh, plants uh, and nature uh, has a benefit to our mental health, uh, to our healing. Uh, you know, you have an operation and surgery, and does your hospital room look out at a parking lot or does it look out at a forest? There actually is a measurable difference. Uh, a statistically sound difference in the uh, healing rate, recovery rate, and success rate on for folks that have that exposure. And of course, we know kids learn better when they're in classrooms where they're engaging also with plants as part of their day or where they can see plants even out the window. It affects uh, attention span. It affects test performance. And so Katie's going to talk about all kinds of holistic healing through horticulture for healthy body and mind at two. Then at three... 
I'll be giving a talk on success with flowers and vegetables in containers. Maybe you look outside and you go, you know, I've got a little patch of, of lawn that I don't want to dig up and put a garden in. There's some other areas that are too shady for a garden. Uh, well, you can grow pretty much anything in a container that you can grow in the ground. Now, there's a few plants that are more difficult for container growing. But most garden vegetables and most garden flowers can be successfully grown in a container. And you can put a container wherever you want it. Uh, and I'll be talking about some of the types of containers, also some kind of uh, eclectic and uh, interesting types of containers. Uh, how big does the container need to be? What kind of soil does best? What vegetables and flowers might you want to grow? And how to go about it successfully uh, to avoid some of the pitfalls along the way. That's 3 p.m. I'll be giving a talk, Success with Flowers and Vegetables. On Sunday, 1 p.m., Hega Kalus, one of our master gardeners who uh, knows a lot about home composting, is going to be giving a talk on home composting for the beginner. Uh, it's one of the topics she enjoys presenting, and Hega comes with a very practical approach for beginners and the many options that are available for composting your organic wastes at home. That would be everything from your kitchen scraps, grass clippings, and all the leaves that are now being piled still at the curbside and unfortunately sent off the property. Uh, you'll learn how to do that yourself at whatever level you want to get involved. Sunday at 1 p.m., home composting for the beginner. At 2 p.m., our final talk uh, for, the, for the Home and Garden Expo is uh, Dr. Sam Fagley managing our soil nutrients and irrigation water. Sam is a, is a Texas native. Uh, he has his doctorate in soil chemistry. He's taught uh, and worked at, at the agronomy department at LSU and, in, and at Texas A&M, 24 years here at Texas A&M. So his career of about 40 years as a professor and a researcher and extension person uh, with um, soil and crops uh, has really uh, credentialed him to, uh, if you will, to to be an expert on those things. Sam's also a master gardener here in Brazos County, by the way, and uh, he talks about a lot of subjects on gardening, but soil is his primary uh, love and interest, and he's going to talk about how to manage your water for your lawn and your garden, uh, proper irrigation, and how to manage your soil nutrients. You know, you see fertilizer piled up at the store, and it may say, use this for your lawn or use that. And how do you, what about a soil test? How do you do that? How do you know which fertilizer, how much to put down? Should you use a slow release or an immediate release? And, and on and on. Uh, so everything you're going to want to know about fertilizing, taking care of your soil, and watering your plants. 2 p.m. on Sunday. So that was, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 or seven talks, eight talks, eight talks that, um, or seven talks, excuse me, that you can attend at the Home and Garden Expo the following, this following weekend, February 12th and 13th. If you want to learn more, you can go online, uh, just do a search for Home and Garden Expo here in Brazos County and learn about that. Also coming up, by the way, let me give a phone number. So if you'd like to give us a call, you can. It's 845 5689-845-5689 or by email gardensuccess at tamu dot edu. Now the, the master gardeners here in Brazos County uh, annually have, have their plant sales. Uh, COVID really threw a monkey wrench into that. They have continued to have uh, sales on, on a smaller scale or uh, uh, not, not the big public events that they had in the past, but they're opening back up again to a, an event, and it'll be uh, at the new 
AgriLife Extension Office, the Brazos County Extension Office on County Park Court, Park Court and Bryan. It's next to the County Tax Office, so I, I suspect if you own property, you know where the County Tax Office is. Uh, out, uh, if you go east on University across the bypass, out that direction, uh, kind of toward the Copperfield area, uh, and that will be on Saturday, March the 26th of, of 2022. Saturday, March 26th. It'll begin at 8 a.m. and it'll go till 11 a.m. And if you've been to these before, you know that uh, a lot of folks get there and they they uh, they sell out pretty quick. So uh, it'll include native plants, perennial plants, shrubs, herbs, vegetables, and bulbs uh, chosen for their suitability to our Brazos County growing conditions. The funds they raise from that, of course, go to help support our programs. You know, the things like uh, the Speakers Bureau, like the uh, uh, Youth Garden events that we do. We have a thing called Pizza Ranch that occurs out uh, at the expo each year, teaching kids can, from schools about uh, where the food comes from. There's the uh, events at the Brazos County Library, Lake Creek Park. A lot of the things Master Gardeners do, uh, taking care of the Demonstration Idea Garden, it takes funds to do that, and this is their primary fundraiser, the spring plant sale at the new location at the Brazos County Extension Office. If you want more information, you can email brazosmg at brazosmg.com or you can call the county extension office. Our number there is 823-0129, 823-0129. But put a, put a mark on your calendar, Saturday, March 26th, beginning at 8 a.m., uh, the plant sale at the new extension office. If you've been to the one at the old extension office, don't go there. Uh, you'll just realize that's the wrong place and then head back across uh, town to get to the right place. Something else I want to uh, mention is uh, the horticulturists, including myself and, and the southeast region for AgriLife Extension, uh, there's about nine of us here. Uh, it goes all the way from Beaumont down to Galveston over to Corpus Christi and then way up in the far northern regions of College Station. Yours truly. We put together a number of programs called Gardening in the Gulf Coast Region. And so we consider this whole general region, Gulf Coast Region. Uh, we just had a talk yesterday all about basil. Uh, Brandy Keller from Harris County Extension Office, horticulturist there. Uh, all these talks, we've been doing this for over a year now, and you can go online to the regional uh, YouTube page, the Southeast Region Extension YouTube page. So if you go to YouTube and look for Southeast Region and Extension, you ought to find that page. There's a section for the horticulture talks, and you can go back and listen to dozens of talks uh, that have been given in past years. They're all recorded and viewable online, and but we have them live once a month this year, the first Wednesday of every month. So uh, these are done at about 11 a.m., and so if you want to be, or 10, is it 10 a.m. or 11 a.m.? I need to go back and look at the actual start time. Uh, anyway, the, the um, information is available online. Uh, you can go to Eventbrite and register, or you can call the Extension Office and uh, uh, talk to uh, Janice at the Extension Office and ask for how do you participate in the Gardening in the Gulf programs. Uh, they're free of charge. Uh, the next one, in fact, we have four of these this year, but the next one on March 2nd is going to be a roundtable discussion or ask the expert group where the nine of us and uh, that are horticulturists with AgriLife in this region will be online 
and you can ask whatever you want about gardening. And not only do you get one horticulturist opinion, but uh, with all these folks, uh, ladies and gentlemen put together, uh, we've got a wealth of information that's available for you just to come online and ask. So uh, I jokingly refer to it as the stump the chumps opportunity. <laughs> but that's March 2nd, uh, which it is, is, these are all on Wednesdays, and it's first Wednesday of each month. Uh, but call our office or go online, go and just look for gardening in the Gulf Coast or gardening Gulf Coast, something like that on Eventbrite, and you can find it and register there. You do need to register. You'll get the link, and when you register for a program, you get uh, the link to the video as well, so afterwards you can go watch uh, the video, which is nice, because maybe, let's say next March 2nd, you'd really like to be watching this or listening to the roundtable discussion, question and answer, but maybe you got to work at that time. Uh, well, if you register, you'll get that link, and then uh, afterward, when you do have time, you can go online and listen. In April, we'll be talking about spring turf care. Uh, in uh, May, uh, fruit trees, and in June we'll have a roundtable again. Then on July 6th, I'll be talking about vegetables for summer heat. Uh, then August, fall gardening. Uh, 7th is a roundtable of September. October 5th, creating a combination planter, ornamental planters with a combination of plants. And then November, tree care and planting, finishing up in December with another roundtable. So I would really encourage you to sign up for those, be part of them. This is kind of your chance to have uh, access to ask a, a group of horticulturists some questions, and I think you'll find it uh, to be worthwhile. Uh, in the meantime, check out that Southeast Region Extension YouTube page and watch some of the past videos. There's a lot of good information on there that I and the other horticulturists have put together uh, from our region. Well, our phone number is 845-5689, 845-5689, and by email, Garden success, that's one word, garden success at tamu.edu. Garden success at tamu.edu. And let's see where we got, uh, make sure I'm connected to the internet, and I am. Uh, it's kind of quiet out there. Are, are the phone, if it was a rotary phone, I would say, well, the dial has frozen, and that's why people can't dial the number, but that's not what we have now. But give us a call. We'd love to talk to you rather than listening to me uh, just talk about gardening, right? I had a question come in from Randall on email. And uh, Randall sent a picture of some little round melon-like structures that are that are round. They're kind of a yellowy-orange and green-striped. And, of course, the vines are all dried and frozen, wanting to know what they are. And as I look at them, uh, they're very small. Uh, my best guess is they're probably about three or four inches across. Uh, so that it's going to be one of two things. My first thought was that it's what we used to call pie melons. It's kind of a wild, uh, not palatable watermelon relative. Uh, but as I look at the leaves, instead of being deeply cut and lobed like a watermelon leaf, they look more like a squash or a cucumber leaf. And so I think my best guess is going to be they're closer related to cucumbers, but there's probably something wild. Who knows, with all the varieties that are out there in the seed markets these days and the different things, they may have come from some some seed. Randall, I know you're a gardener, so I'd, I'd go back through all the things I've ordered over the years and figure out that's an awful lot of them to have just uh, suddenly appeared. Uh, but if... Um, 
if if my guess is right, I'm going to consider it something wild that is probably more closely related to cucumbers than anything. Uh, I I would have thought uh, maybe a watermelon relative. There's there's wild watermelons, uh, pie melons, or what's the other name for those? Um, oh gosh. I can't think of the name. It's a citron, citron melon, C-I-T-R-O-N. Not the citron that's a citrus, but a, um, an actual watermelon relative that's a wild kind of thing called a citron. Uh, nothing to write home about. Uh, not anything you'd want to eat fresh. Some people, though, do take them and, and make uh, kind of a, a preserves with them. They have a lot of pectin in them. But again, looking at the leaves on this, I think we're looking more in the cucumber direction. I'd like to, if you can, send me more information on, you know, is this your yard? Did you plant something there in the past? Uh, you know, what, what else can you tell me about this? Cut one open. Uh, I suspect it's going to be white inside and fairly solid, although at this stage they're getting awfully old. They're, they're probably, you know, falling apart inside a little bit. Uh, but anyway, check that out. See what kind of seeds you have. You know, there's a big difference between the little slender, very long, uh, compared to their width, uh, cucumber-type seeds versus a watermelon seed, which is more of a teardrop-shaped uh, and often uh, kind of gets darker. So see, see what kind of seeds they have inside. That might help us a little bit uh, as well. Okay, we'll go through here. See another questions. Um, one of the things that that I have been getting you know, quite a bit of quite a bit of questions about uh, this time of year are uh, how to how to start a garden or when to start a garden, when to plant different things. I want to remind you that um, we have a, a wealth of information on our websites with AgriLife Extension. The Aggie Horticulture website has a lot of very good uh, information on it, and I would encourage you to check that out. It's Aggie dash horticulture or you could say aggie hyphen horticulture at tamu.edu uh, the master gardeners uh, here in brazos county uh, also have a website and if you go to brazosmg.com it'll get you there and on that website not only will you learn more about the plant sale uh, but there's a section called gardening in brazos valley and in that is an edible gardening uh, section if you go into the edible gardening, you can find uh, vegetable varieties for Brazos County and a vegetable garden planting date. And there's other links in there as well. But the vegetable garden planting dates uh, for Brazos County is a chart. You can print it out. It's a free download. And uh, it, it has bars across from January to, February, to December and all the vegetables listed vertically on the left-hand column. So you can drop down and say, when is the time when I can start planting radishes and when do I need to get them planted by? What's the range in there for radishes or for tomatoes or for broccoli or anything like that? I think that's a real helpful resource, and I would encourage you to check it out. That is available online. So as far as, as planting goes, we're, we're now in a season where we're kind of in, in the, the um, borderline between two seasons. Uh, when we get to the end of February, almost all of our cool season crops, we stop planting them by then. Some of them, 
even a little before that. But definitely by the end of February, it's kind of the official end of planting the cool season crops. Now, they're going to continue to grow in March and April. Some are even brave enough to hang on into May. Uh, but uh, that that's the stop of that. And then at the beginning of March is when we begin our warm season planting. Most things aren't planted March 1st, but we wait until... Uh, you know, mid-March or late-March. It just depends on whether you want to be a gambler or not. But this chart has dark green for the best time and light green for the okay time, marginal, if you will, planning time. But I was surprised when we put this chart together a few years ago. The um, the last average freeze date here uh, is February 26th. And I'd always thought of March as kind of when we get our last freeze. Well, the the you know, freeze dates change over time, and, and they're based on an average of about 10 years. And so when we end at the end of a decade, uh, when the new average freeze date time comes out for the next decade of data, uh, that there's often a shift, and, and it has been shifted backwards. So our last average freeze date is about February 26th, and that's based on the past 10 years of data. And then the first freeze date is about December 2nd, which is also a little later than I thought that it, it would have been. Now, average doesn't mean a lot when it comes to weather, right? Uh, I always uh, use the humorous analogy that if you put one foot in ice water and one foot in boiling water, on average, you're comfortable. Uh, so th the truth is that you never know exactly when that date is going to be, but we aim for that average as, as a general guideline. Now, if you're planting seeds, seeds are not that expensive. You can plant a little early as a gamble. And if you get a late freeze, maybe later than February 26, which, which can happen. In fact, the, the average date means that half of, the, half of the freezes are going to be earlier than the last freeze is going to be earlier than that, and half of the last freeze is going to be later than that. So it's not like on February 26 it quits freezing. Uh, but that's the average. So if you want to gamble, plant some seeds a little early, you can replant them. They're not that expensive. If you're using something a little more expensive, like transplants, for example, you might want to wait and give yourself even a little extra week or two just to be a little more sure. Or if you want to put them in, you can cover them up. You know, with, with home gardening, we can do things that the farmer can't do. Uh, a farmer's not going to go out and put two or three inches of compost over 100 acres of a field, right? But we can do that in a small home garden. A farmer's not going to be able to throw a plastic cover over the entire 100-acre field either. Uh, although there, there are some commercial covers in some situations with high-dollar crops where that can come close to that. But uh, we can do that in a home garden. So we have a little bit of leeway. We can cheat, if you will, uh, a little bit. Uh, I'm going to be talking about container gardening at the Home Garden Expo, but one of the ways I like to garden in containers is in a wheelbarrow. And a wheelbarrow allows you to cheat a lot. So, uh, for example, last winter we got down to 7 degrees, and I had some broccoli and cabbage, or not cabbage, uh, kale and, and things like that in a wheelbarrow growing in soil in a wheelbarrow with drainage holes, of course. And when we got the cold weather, it just went in the garage. And, yeah, it got cold in the garage, but not 7 degrees. And I, and I had some that was outside the garage, and it got destroyed. It was just way too much. So the... The, the ability to, in, a, in a home garden to be able to do some things different is there. So I, we give you these dates. You know, we say, well, you probably ought not plant your warm season crops until at least the 1st of March. Probably better to start about the middle of March. And that is a general truth. 
But if you're a gardener and you want to start some tomato or cucumber transplants in early February indoors, and when they're about three or four weeks old, put them out in the garden and put a clear cover over them that vents out during the day to let the heat out, and you want to get an early start, you can do that. That's, that's our prerogative, and that's part of what makes gardening fun and a challenge. Well, let's go to the phones. Our phone number is 845-5689, 845-5689, and we're going to talk to Colleen. Hello, Colleen. Hello, good afternoon. Yeah. Um, I am going to be reworking uh, a lot of the irrigation in some raised beds in my backyard. Mm-hmm. And this is several hundred square feet. Uh, these have been in, you know, at least 10 years, maybe 15. And because of the freeze we had a few weeks ago, and everything's been cleaned out and pretty much stripped bare. Okay. So I thought, well, it uh, looks to me like maybe those garden beds have settled a little. Because when I first put them in, I did exactly what y'all recommend, which is the compost and, mm-hmm. you know, some topsoil and all that added in. But I guess the compost has deteriorated. And yeah. over the years, we turn in the mulch. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but still looks to me like it's settled a little. So I guess my question is, are there recommendations for what you should do with a mature bed mm-hmm. that may have shrunk a little? That's a great question, uh, Colleen, and, and your observation is 100% correct. In fact, I, uh, I often noticed walking out to the containers on my patio that you have a container full of potting soil with a plant in it, and after about three years, it's like there's a third less soil in that container. <laughs> it's just kind of, right. it, it, we call it oxidizing. It's basically uh, disappearing. The organic matter is, is breaking down into its smaller or more basic components. And we have to, you know, do, add to it. But in a garden bed, the same thing, of course, is going to happen because our garden beds are typically a higher than natural amount of organic matter. Uh, the natural organic matter here in the Brazos Valley is about about a half a percent, I believe, something like that. Of course, it varies from site to soil to another site and so on, but uh, it's it's pretty low. But in the garden, I mean, we're mixing a, an inch of compost or two inches of compost in, and and so it it gives us uh, not only a fluffier soil, but but um, which will settle but also a soil that is the organic matter is going to oxidize. So that does happen. And what I do is I just add more to the top and mix it in. Now, if you want to bring in a little bit of true soil, uh, you know, it could be a sandy loam or sandy soil, and put a little bit of that in and put some of the other in, you can certainly do that. Uh, I wouldn't do just, you know, a big bed full of clay, of course, but uh, at least add organic matter or and or sand or loam uh, to the beds and then mix it in well to to continue and get it back up to the level you want it to be. I have to tell you that I've never had a problem with nuts edge in my yard Uh-oh. <laughs> before before we brought in yeah. <clears throat> what was allegedly topsoil, yeah. but you know, I did not consider it topsoil. Right. So I'm reluctant to go purchase much uh, yes. of what they call topsoil. Um, what? And now, let me just tell you, there are a couple of established 
plantings back there. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to build up too much around them. Yes. So there were some roses and a couple of trees. Yes. But um, what do you think about expanded shale? Uh, it's good for clay. Uh, and, and you're right. My, I just want to, for those listening, I, I want to clarify that my comments on a raised bed are more of a vegetable or flower bed where you're pulling the mm-hmm. plants out, bringing up the soil and replanting. Uh, definitely not, as you said, like around a rose bush. We're not just piling up over the top of those. Uh, but expanded right. shale has uh, some advantages and some disadvantages. Number one, if, if you don't have a heavy clay soil, it's basically not going to do much. I did some trials uh, many years ago where we put an expanded shale into a nice sandy loam soil, very well drained, you know, good, uh, fairly good sand content, and and then we looked at how things produced, and the shale did not improve production. But if you've got a tight, heavy clay soil that doesn't allow oxygen in well, that doesn't allow water to infiltrate in very very rapidly at all. Expanded shale can help a lot. And some research with AgriLife up in the Dallas Metroplex, uh, Dr. Steve George worked with some projects up there, and they did find a big benefit, especially with rose planting, because that's a long term. So the advantage of expanded shale is, uh, for those who are, who are not wondering what that is, imagine like a kitty litter that had been fired, steam fired at a super hot rate, causing it, uh, temperature rather, causing it to expand. So if you were to get it under a microscope, it'd look like that lava rock with a lot of holes and pockets inside of it. That's expanded shale. And it structurally stays the same. It's, it's, it's like a rock, if you will, in the soil. So it'd be 20 years from now, and it pretty much is still the same structure that it had before. Uh, so that does improve drainage long-term for things like a rose bed. The disadvantage, well, the advantage of compost over shale is that it decomposes and releases nutrients, uh, and it, its ability to hold water and nutrients is a little bit better. Uh, but the negative is that what we've been talking about, it oxidizes, it breaks down, and it, and it goes away. The chunkier it is, the longer it lasts. So if you had a rose bed you were building, I would use a very chunky bark type compost, well composted, not not fresh bark, but uh, and as opposed to a real fine textured compost or, or mix like you might think of potting soil being. Uh, but that those that's the trade-off. So expanded shale is also expensive, but again it lasts. So there there's a trade-off there. But you're going right. to it doesn't break down. <laughs> no, it doesn't. But you're going to need to probably add about if it's a true heavy clay soil, which is where shale shines, uh, you're going to probably need to add about three or four inches and mix it in as deeply as you can, because just a a few shale chunks here and there through a clay mass is not going to do much. You need a a percentage of, of shale that's high enough to where it can really open that up. And I mean, think of it this way. Now, now gravel isn't like shale, but imagine if you had clay and you sprinkle a little gravel and mixed it in, well, then you would just have concrete <laughs> with, you know, something <laughs> something hard and tight with a gravel inside. And But we're looking at a loose product that we're using in a quantity to create that space that you need but uh, in and among all the clay. Okay, so let me just uh, clarify because I'm assuming certain things from what you're saying. If the top, say, eight inches of my bed is loose, loamy, 
good soil. Mm-hmm. And then there's heavy clay underneath it. You know, mm-hmm. the natural soil, mm-hmm. <laughs> or at least the natural soil where I live. Right. I'm assuming that what you're saying is don't waste your money on expanded shale, right? I, I would say that for two reasons. Number okay. one, what you've already got on top is good. The only reason to do shale in that is knowing that that's going to break down. The shale would not break down, and it would hold. It would last right. a little bit longer. But what would, if we were to go way forward in time, what you would see instead of that? What did you say? Seven inches or, or so. It's about eight inches. Eight inches. So let's say that in time, it had so much organic matter that in time it was only going to be about four inches or three inches Uh of soil. Then you would have this concentration of expanded shale that didn't break down, but it settled in with with the, the shrinking volume of that high organic matter soil. Uh, and so you still would need to fluff it up, put more, more in there for the plants to grow. But, uh, that, that, that's one of the trade-offs. Uh, and as far as going deeper, there's not an advantage to shale for that because what shale does is it makes water move through the soil downward more readily Mm -hmm. as well as oxygen. So if you picture a clay soil and you dig in down into the clay and add shale, uh, there's nowhere for that water to go. It may move through, but it's going to hit clay, and now you've got it, it, an underground water table right there. So the shale didn't do, right. you, do you any good. I, I hope that right. is not confusing for anyone listening. No, no. I, I, oh, I understand. I'm not sure mm-hmm. <laughs> um, about other people. Um, okay, so let me just review this. If you wanted to raise the level of a bed by, say, two to four inches, mm-hmm. your recommendation is that you use compost and natural soil is an option, or is that, you know, you should use half and half? Um, are we talking about roses still, or what What are we Well, planning? there are a couple of roses out there, but I got a lot of square feet where okay. there's uh, not much of anything right okay. now. Well, so... So sort of backing up and, and, and with that question, if you're just going to raise it a couple of inches, I don't know that it's worth, because basically you're going to be pulling up the roses, redoing the bed, and then resetting the roses, which is fine. They're, they will do just fine with that treatment. But I don't know that the gain of a couple of inches is worth all that work. Uh, but if you are if just taking the question at face value, if you just want to add a couple of inches over the surface and surface and maybe mix mm-hmm. it in a little bit where you can, uh, then I would use uh, probably uh, an organic matter, uh, decomposed, okay. a, a little bit on the chunky side, organic matter. Uh, and you're right about uh, bringing soil in and bringing in nut sedge. Nut sedge and sand go together. Uh, they, it loves sandy soils. And, and when, when someone making soil mixes goes out and scoops out a sandy creek bank, to bring in sand, they're going to probably bring in nut sedge in many cases with it, and that, as you know, is not something we want done. It's just <laughs> it, it's just what is. Okay, so chunky compost. Uh, yeah. And, and does that just mean look for some open bags and see how chunky it is? Yeah, you know, if it if it's just a bed, you can do some bags. Uh, right. I tell you that. Words like mulch and compost almost mean nothing out there in the trade. Uh, you'll, right, you'll because see stuff. I've bought, yeah, I've bought compost before, and it 
it was the recommendation from the master gardeners always was if you have compost you should not be able to tell what the origin of the compost was right but i have bought it in bags before where you could clearly see sticks and pieces of wood so i don't think that they're letting it mature enough yeah i've i've bought that kind of stuff as well and uh, it some of it basically looked like it was a bunch of chipped wood chunks and twigs that had yeah. been left wet long enough to turn blackish and then sold and that's not compost <laughs> that's not even a leaf mold and and so you you just have to look look at it but uh, if you're doing much of a bed I would consider going to a soil yard where you see the pile of what you're buying and you can choose there's there's soil yards here locally one of them will be whatever they want to call it they may call it compost. They may call it bed mix. Uh, if it's bed mm-hmm. mix, it probably has some sort of a soil mixed in with it, and it's going to have some compost mixed in with it. Um, uh, some places that really specialize, will they'll have a vegetable garden mix or a, a, a shrub bed or rose mix kind of thing. The rose mix is going to have a chunkier, it, it'll, it'll be woody chunks, but they'll be small. Uh, they won't be like big sticks. But that is going to take much longer to decompose than a screened compost where what you're getting is almost like coffee grounds, you know, in terms of its particle size. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's going to mat down, become mucky, and decompose faster than, than a chunkier thing. And so, so for the shrub mm-hmm. beds, that's why we were, we're going a little chunky to give us a little more time. Uh, but if you were going to put in a little vegetable garden and you use something really chunky and you're trying to plant your little tiny seeds and get them at the right depth, uh, that's not good. You would like a finer texture, right. at least on the surface. Okay. Well, I appreciate it. This is a multi-purpose bed, and there are trees, and there are roses, and there are bulbs, and there is an area where I do uh, plant some vegetables. So right. I'm trying to hit a happy medium here. Well, very good. Very good. Well, ha- have okay. fun with that. Thank you. You bet. Thanks for the call, <laughs> Colleen. All right, we got enough time for another call. Someone would like to call. It's 845-5689-845-5689. A little late probably for an email, but at gardensuccess at tamu.edu. Gardensuccess at tamu.edu. Let's see what I can find here. We're going to go down to the emails. and Okay, so I I did want to talk about one other thing, and that while we're waiting to see if we get one more call today. Uh, I love to talk about holidays, uh, the weird holidays, gardening holidays, things like that. But February 7th, which is in four days, is National Rose Day, uh, which, interestingly enough, comes a week before Valentine's Day, February 14th. And people associate roses with Valentine's. And you probably have heard that on Valentine's Day, you should plant your roses and prune your roses on Valentine's Day. And that's true. You can. You can plant a container-grown rose anytime, really, you want. But remember, with any woody ornamental plant, the sooner you get them in, the better they establish before heat arrives. So... Now is a good day to plant your roses, or last month, or last fall even is a good time. Uh, But if you want to plant some roses, there are a lot of wonderful ones out there. We've got the earthkind roses that have been tested by AgriLife Extension in fields where they were not sprayed to see how disease-resistant and productive they are. 
and we have some pretty darn tough roses that survive with very little care from us. A typical earth kind field, they'll, they'll kind of plow it up, they'll mix in some, some bark uh, compost material into the ground, plant the roses, mulch the surface heavily with just wood chip type material, shredded branches and things. And the first year they'll water it a little bit to help it get going and then they you know kind of let nature take its course and they do super well under those conditions now there are other many other good roses to plant other than earth kind uh, but earth kind is kind of the foolproof rose it's that's the kind of rose you find in the cemetery and as one of my mentors dr welch uh, has said if dead people can grow it you can too i love that phrase uh, and it kind of reminds us of the fact that if we have a plant we have to pamper and pamper to keep it alive we can do that I mean, we're gardeners. I'm, we make all kinds of weird things happen, right? But if you just want to put it out there and not worry about it and depend on it being pretty and attractive and survive and thrive, you want to plant like an earth kind rose, for example. Uh, also, uh, something, another, another interesting uh, thing along the lines of uh, gardening uh, is a floral design day is coming up later this this week uh, or excuse me later this month at the end of February another another good thing to um, uh, to uh, celebrate as well uh, today for those of you who are interested is National Carrot Cake Day so if you've got carrots in the garden here we go a good time to uh, plant those those out in the garden I tell you gardening holidays are are pretty interesting and pretty uh, pretty entertaining uh, as well. Uh, and, and finally, I just have to end with this. Today is National Golden Retriever Day. So uh, I know Betty White was a big Golden Retriever fan. Uh, we have a Golden Retriever. It is not a gardening dog. In fact, it's, an, it's a de-gardening dog or an anti-gardening dog. I plant, the retriever retrieves and brings to the back door of my house. Uh, and I have I have discuss this with her. I've said it's embarrassing. Uh, your owner is supposed to know better than this. And here I've got a dog that uh, is the worst gardening dog in the world. Uh, but uh, anyway, happy Golden Retriever Day, Ellie. <laughs> You're a joy to have around, except in my garden. Uh, so anyway, well, you've been listening to Garden Success. We are here every Thursday from 12 to 1 uh, to answer gardening questions and gardening emails. In the meantime, if you'd like to email gardensuccess at tamu.edu, we will tackle that next week when we're back on the air again. You've been listening to Garden Success with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist Skip Richter. Join us again next week as Skip discusses your questions about gardening and landscaping in the Brazos Valley. Garden Success is brought to you in part by the Arbor Gate, featuring unusual plants, artisan-created decorative pieces, and a constantly changing array of items that bring beauty, comfort, and even flavor to the home and garden. Arbor Gate, 15635 FM 2920, Tomball, Texas, 281-351-8851 or arborgate.com. Garden Success is also brought to you by The Farm Patch, 3519 South College Avenue in Bryan, 979-822-7209.